is a place where they'll pay you a thousand dollars for a kiss and fifty cents for your soul. Welcome to Holly Weird, a podcast about celebrity deaths and the strange events in Tinseltown and beyond. We are your hosts, Megan Carpenter and Liz Shirer. Liz, I feel like we have some splaining to do. <laughs> well, I mean, do we? It's, it's we do whatever we want, Megan. Uh, <laughs> I know this is a hobby that we don't get paid for. Therefore, y'all are playing by our rules. Yes, not to be. You know, <laughs> you know well, we're both avid podcast listeners, but you know when hosts get like, you know, guys, like it's really hard, like blah, 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 blah. so. Not to be that, but for some, you know, context. A lot of professional podcasts have a producer. They have like a content producer. They have a regular producer. They have someone to edit their episodes. And a lot of talent just kind of shows up, riffs, riffs, raffs, and then leaves. But we do everything ourselves. We research, we write, we edit, we do all the sound, we do everything. And Megan and I are both, you know, people with lives. <laughs> Megan is about to create baby number three. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have kids. But <laughs> But you work with kids and a lot of them every day. Yes. Um, and the pandemic was tough for you know, obviously everyone, but that was just kind of a, I think, bump in the road yeah. in our Hollywood planning. Two people who work in healthcare, our lives changed quite a bit. Yes, for sure. So now that the world has kind of calmed down again and our lives have calmed down again, in particular with the death of our beloved Aaron Carter, <laughs> we felt like this was the right time in both of our lives as well as the Hollywood universe to come back. Yeah. So, if there was a tragedy that could pull us from the bench, it was probably going to oh be my this God. one. Um, but, now that we've gotten our so sorry, happy to be here, out of the way, um, just some housekeeping. Our last episode that you guys would have listened to suggested an Amy Winehouse episode was on deck. That will still be on deck, just next time after this one. Um, but today, we are going to cover Aaron Carter. For this episode, we invite you to come get it. This is the death of Aaron Carter. November 5th, 2022, Lancaster, California. Law enforcement received a 911 call that a man had drowned in a bathtub. When dispatched to the scene, officials discovered the body of singer and former child star Aaron Carter. Per the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, Aaron's house sitter was the one who discovered his body and made the call. According to the 911 call, the panicked house sitter told police that Aaron was dead in the bathtub. Law enforcement believe his body was in the tub for a significant period of time as there was a smell of decomposition and the water had turned an unnatural color. The tub's jets were still running when Aaron's body was found. At the scene, there were multiple cans of compressed air in Aaron's bathroom and bedroom, as well as prescription pills. Despite reports that homicide detectives were seen outside his home on November 5th, no signs of foul play were reported at the scene. Three days before his death, on November 2nd, an anonymous female called 911 to request a welfare check on the singer. I was just calling to see if there's any way you guys could send an officer to go check on him. The thing is, he's a very heavy drug user and he's inhaling computer duster and he was doing it all night, a female told dispatchers. They got into a huge fight and she ended up leaving. The they, the caller was referring to, is Aaron's on-again, off-again fiance, Melanie Martin. He's very, very, very ill. He is on the verge of death. After the welfare check, Aaron's housekeeper was told not to bother him. When she knocked on his door on the morning of Saturday, November 5th, to ask if he wanted coffee, she heard Aaron's dog going crazy behind the door. This prompted her to open the door and discover the grisly scene. 
the police visits in November of 2022 were not the only time that law enforcement had visited Aaron's home out of concerns for his safety. On November 20th, 2022, fans called 911 after witnessing what was thought to be Aaron huffing on Instagram Live and were concerned that he had overdosed after hearing aerosol being released and the screen going black. Once they arrived, police found no evidence of drug use or criminal activity at his home. Aaron's manager, Taylor Helgeson, told Page Six that Aaron looked thin and tired when he met with him at the recording studio two days before his death. He didn't seem okay physically, but mentally, he was the most excited I've seen him in months. He was very intelligent, and he was very conscious of what people wanted to see from him. Helgeson shared more about the conversation between him and Aaron that day, stating that they were discussing the possibility of him attending detox in Utah and that he needed to get his personal affairs in order before then. I was like, you need a will. So I reached out to my publicist at that time and I had asked her to help with getting the paperwork, says Helgeson. And so we started getting that together and we got the paperwork out and it never got signed. It never got filled out. As of this recording, Aaron's cause of death is still unknown. An autopsy was performed and his remains have been cremated. It's reported that his remains are with his twin sister, Angel. Aaron Carter is survived by his 11-month-old son, Prince, whom he shared with his fiancée, Melanie Martin. It's time for Hollyweird Post-Mortem. So that's kind of a good segue into something else that this is, episode is kind of a departure for us. So we usually do, this is a you know podcast about celebrity deaths, which that can be a sensitive topic, but we usually cover people who have been dead for at least a decade, which that separation I think helps a little bit from people from its stinging, our comments stinging. So it's a little bit more removed, but Aaron Carter just recently died on November 5th. So Aaron Carter, despite all the issues that he had later in his life, was definitely a cultural icon for us millennials. I think his music um, and place and culture is important to a lot of people our age when we think about growing up and the interests that we had at that time. We're truly, truly saddened by his passing. This actually might be like hard to talk about. Um, and we want to be sensitive to the fact that it happened so recently. At the same time, um, this is something that's talked about in one of our favorite podcasts, Who Weekly, we believe that culture is always something to be examined and critiqued, and Aaron has been a big part of culture, and we're going to talk about why. So we want to talk about his, light in, his life and career, and ultimately shine a light on a talented person who was failed by many people, including his own family. Girl, well it's true, I'm all about you. Starting from the beginning, relatively. Aaron was born in Florida. No. Eric, Aaron was born in New York, <gasps> but moved to Florida as a very young child. Oh my god, thank you. They were from Jamestown, New York, um, which is uh, a little bit north of the Pennsylvania border. Okay. But it is where Lucille Ball's from. So if you ever uh-huh. go to Jamestown, uh, it, they have like huge I Love Lucy murals on the side of their buildings, and they have like a Lucy museum. Have you uh, been there, Megan? Yeah. Really? <laughs> yes, I love Lucy. That's the only reason I remembered that factoid because they were from the same town as Lucille Ball. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Thank you for reminding yes. me of that. But I would consider them Floridians. The vibe of the Carter family is extremely (laughs) Floridian. I meant for, like, the length of time they lived in Florida. Oh. Um, But, no, I mean, it does not get more Florida man than some of this stuff. Yeah, the Carter siblings. Yes. (laughs) So, Erin actually has a twin. I don't think a lot of people know that because she's not really in the spotlight. But, um, so Erin and Angel were born December 7th, 1987, um, to Jane and Robert who later got divorced. Um, So the twins are the youngest of five siblings total. The oldest is Bobby Jean, known as BJ, 
Nick comes next, and then Leslie, who, uh, interestingly enough, is saying one of my favorite songs from that time period, Like Wow, which I will insert here. Um, and unfortunately, Leslie died in 2012. So why is Like Wow one of your favorite songs? It's just so, so it's definitely reminiscent of like the Aaron Carter stuff from that time, but it's super poppy. It's super like bubblegum. Um, and I remember listening to it a lot during that time, but that's kind of the only song that she had. <laughs> it's annoying. But I, I just love it. One of my cousins was very much a Carter obsessive growing up and she and I are around the same age and every time we would go to our house we would have to listen to either Aaron Carter, Backstreet Boys, or Leslie Carter. Um, it was just like uh, in doing the research for this I got like a lot of childhood callbacks because of oh my God, all those memories. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to know why we don't know anything about Angel or Bobby Jean. Like what did they do? Well Bobby Jean and we will get into this later when we talk about the reality show House of Carters. But Bobby Jean, I don't really think has had anything to do with the entertainment business. Um, And Angel, I think, again, not that much is out there. I think I found last night, she has an interior design business based out of LA. I think. If that's the person. She looks very different from picture to picture. Um, But it's possible that with everything that went on with Aaron and Nick, and then possibly Leslie dying, that she just was not interested in going down the fame train uh, i think way back when she did some modeling but that's a very vague you know job description but regardless the majority of these siblings have had interactions with fame on different levels i mean i would say all of them honestly because of the real- reality show that we'll talk about yeah but um nick carter i would say is probably the most famous sibling or was it you know that millennium crossover into the 2000s i think he still is the most famous yeah yeah probably he's just not like a superstar like he was back then well do you what do you think about having once been a superstar does that longevity translate to remaining a superstar in some way like like getting grandfathered in like do you would you call nick carter a list no i call him b list yeah and is that I call him BSB list? No. Well, because you know, so the Backstreet Boys are still touring. Yes, but it's very much a nostalgia. Like everyone, like a new kids on the block. Yes, like okay. everyone is going to those shows are our age, like thirties and forties, like remembering watching them sing like um i want it that way yeah. like on trl yeah it's very much a nostalgia sure. career at this point which not to say that they're not doing well because i can talk about this later but i think they're superior musicians but <laughs> um did you read nick's book i did not i um, didn't either nick uh wrote a book called facing the music and living to talk about it that's uh, kind of, I love that title. You love that title? I don't love that title. Oh, you don't love that title? Why? It's not punny like we're punny. Yes, and I feel like <laughs> there's so many things that you could do there. Like, so the, even, like, the reality show is House of Carters. Like, you couldn't, like, I mean, come on. Yeah. I know you have a ghostwriter. Like. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, actually, I didn't remember this book. I did not read the book. Didn't remember it, but I think it came out about a decade ago. Probably. Um. But Nick went on the Dr. Phil show. Um, Are you recalling? Yeah. So this was in 2013. After Leslie's death, Nick was on the Dr. Phil show around the time of the book release as well. And he indicated that his familial relationships had been strained in the wake of Leslie's death. Okay, so why don't we actually talk a little bit about Leslie then? Um, As of the five children, uh, she was the first to die i feel i just feel bad saying it. i know it's almost like like, megan do you know what podcast you host and i feel bad talking about dead people um so (laughs) well it's i mean it said she was young and like it's kind of this i think it's sad 
we'll get into it, but to see a repeating pattern in this family. Yes. So that's why I want to talk about her death, because when we talk about Aaron's death, you will see a lot of similarities. Um, and again, in the kind of evaluation that we'll do, we'll talk about history repeating itself. So to talk about that history, uh, Leslie passed in 2012 of a drug overdose. According to ABC News, Leslie was at her parents' house in New York, and she uh, fell ill during a shower, and her parents helped her out of the shower, but she fell asleep and never woke up, so this was the overdose transpiring. Um, She left behind an infant daughter who was less than a year old, which Aaron left. That's just like Aaron. Yes. Oh my god. Um, so time for our favorite drug corner. Oh, Pharmacy Corner! <laughs> I'll put that in here. Welcome to Pharmacy Corner. Pharmacy Corner, Liz. Um, these were the drugs found in her system on autopsy. Please tell us what they're for. Okay. Zyprexa. I think that's an antidepressant. Okay. Hello, Hollyweird listeners. Future Liz here. Just to correct myself, uh, Zyprexa is not quite an antidepressant. It's actually an antipsychotic uh, or a mood stabilizer. A little bit closer to lithium, but not the same. Just had to clarify. Thanks. Cyclobenzaprine. Great pronunciation. Um, Megan <laughs> did give a little cheat in here that it's a muscle relaxant. <laughs> um, and Xanax. Yes, which uh, is a benzodiazepine which suppresses your central nervous system and makes you calm, but if you do too many, you can yeah. stop breathing. It's a, a fave of the celebrities that appear on this podcast. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for listening to Pharmacy Corner. These were all prescribed, presumably. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I don't want to speak for Leslie, but like these are medications that you could be prescribed, correct? Yes, correct. Okay, okay. Um... Yes, yeah, so it was her father and stepmother, actually, her the Carter parents are divorced, uh, that were helping her through, um, and they were the ones who ended up calling 911. Per her stepmother, Leslie had been battling depression. Would you say those meds check out for a depressive person? Um, only the Zyprexa. Um, the other thing is, so this was before there was a national database for controlled substances. So now if you're prescribed something like Xanax or Adderall, uh, doctors look in a national database that they have access to to make sure that you haven't been prescribed anything similar or anything that would counteract with it. Um, and this is not always that people are trying to purposefully uh, deceive their provider. A lot of times they're not even aware that drugs can interact. So only... The Zyprexa would be for depression. Xanax is for anxiety, and a muscle relaxant can be for anxiety. It can also be for pain. Okay, so um, as we mentioned, uh, about a year after Leslie's death, Nick then appeared on the Dr. Phil show, and he indicated that he felt blamed by the family for Leslie's death, meaning that as a big brother, he wasn't there for her. They were adults. Yeah, and there's lots of crazy dynamics in the Carter family like that. So... Typically, I think in a normal functioning family, maybe a sibling would feel, you know, bad. They may not have been there, but for other family members to, like, blame them, kind of like what's going on. So (laughs) there's some explanation for this. Lots and lots of dysfunction in the Carter family. So as probably most people know who are listening to this podcast, Nick Carter was in the iconic boy band, the Backstreet Boys, that started in the 90s. So in 2015... The Backstreet Boys were coming back together, creating new music, and they released this documentary, The Backstreet Boys Show What You're Made Of, chronicling their comeback with all the members. Um, Meg, can you name all the members of the Backstreet Boys? Can I? <laughs> Do you want them um, by age? Do you want them yes. by height? How would you like me to classify them? So we have Kevin Richardson, uh-huh. Brian Luttrell, AJ McLean, Howie Duro, I think that's how you say it. And Nick Carter. Wow. I didn't even know Howie's last name. That's (laughs) that's impressive. I was definitely a Backstreet Boys girl over in NSYNC. Absolutely. We'll definitely get into that. Okay. Um, So this 
documentary, which I was really into to the point where this was when I was still working at Philadelphia's Magic Gardens, an amazing place in Philadelphia. And uh, every year they make birth really personalized birthday cards for people. And they made me a Backstreet Boys birthday card because it was super because this documentary like really got things going for me again. <laughs> so it was largely used as promotional material for their new album in a world like this, which is OK. Um, but in the documentary, you know, kind of very classic. And this is something we're seeing a lot recently, like the Selena Gomez documentary, the Taylor Swift, well, what is it, All-American Girl? Um, Miss Americana. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Lady Gaga, Five Foot Two. These, like, these promo documentaries yeah. that are kind of, like, faux tell-all, but really it's, like, very curated by the artist, and it is to promote their music. Sure. Do you so, think the Backstreet Boys were at the forefront of this, like, trend? I, I kind of think so. Okay. Because... They talk about a lot of things in this documentary. Um, details about their personal life, AJ's struggles with substance abuse, um, and the band's legal battle with former manager Lou Pearlman. Dun, dun, dun. More on that later. So each member gets their own segment where they, you know, talk about their life, go to their hometown, you know, film there, go through memories. You know, sometimes it's sad, sometimes it's happy. But when Nick goes to Tampa, it's it's like one of, it's like really heartbreaking and sad and just like really gives a lot of insight into like what was going on so he they're like they film him in front of his childhood home and he's like on the ground on his knees like sobbing crying talking about how his parents were like violent alcoholics who they the siblings would like band together and hide in closets from them while be fighting all night long and like very very sad and very personal and like clearly traumatic for him I feel like you're like I've, I've seen this documentary but admittedly it's been like at least five years mm-hmm. i feel like i'm remembering repressed memories when you're describing <laughs> this like i can see nick carter on the ground of the the driveway like of the tampa <laughs> house in my head as you're describing it and it's like it's like visceral wow i'm so <laughs> your storytelling is oh my just god thank you so much okay. um greater brain and dramatic and then they go to his elementary school and this was probably like i mean i got misty eyed um, and he reunites with his like beloved music teacher and they watch this old VHS of Nick. The school did a production of the Phantom of the Opera, which for elementary school is like a lot, but <laughs> he gets super emotional watching it. And he talks about how like singing and performing felt like the only way that he could like escape the trauma and the violence at home. And it was like the only thing that made him feel good about himself. And that's kind of a common narrative for people who perform and like, especially like perpetuate in the spotlight that performing and being a star is like trying to make up for and cover up a lot of things that they didn't feel Mm -hmm. when they were younger so i think the suggestion you're trying to make is none of these five children had a golden childhood absolutely thank you for bringing it back around so yes nick's hometown segment was definitely the saddest and the most emotional nick is definitely seen as the most commercially successful carter sibling so if that's how much he was affected by his childhood I can only imagine how Aaron and Leslie and, you know, BJ and Angel to a certain extent were processing those things and how they felt. So, um, Nick was only in elementary school doing school shows, although he joined the Backstreet Boys and was discovered, et cetera, et cetera, at a young age. All of that applies even younger than for Aaron. Yes. Um, who was of elementary school age himself when he was... A pop superstar. Right. So we know that the children use this as an opportunity to escape. Nick has said that mm-hmm. himself. But, you know, what What does that say about what kinds of people push their kids into show business at that age? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> I think there's a possibility there could be some parents out there who they're encouraging their child's natural talent and they really want them to, you know, feel good about themselves and there is actually something to be said for now I'm gonna sound like you know a show mom but like learning skills like music dancing language acting there's a point where there's a part of your brain those things are related that when you're like 12 or 13 it starts to close and be fully formed and after that it's harder to learn skills like that so on some level I'm really glad my parents encouraged me to play piano when I was, you know, from first grade to senior year of high school because now I can still play because those skills are cemented in my brain. However, huge difference between encouraging your child to learn, like, you know, C scales as opposed to 
pushing your nine-year-old to be an international pop star. Like, correct. huge difference. It just makes you wonder whose dream was it? And then, you know, was it actually the dream of the child or was it a fantasy because it was an escape all along? Mm. Ooh. <sighs> There's also a great example. Um, I started listening to the audiobook of I'm Glad My Mom Died. I read it. Oh my god, you finished it. Okay. Yeah. To be honest, I couldn't get really far in it because it's just so sad. Uh-huh. But do you want to talk about Jeanette McCurdy's yeah. mom? Sure. Yeah, so if any of you have read I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy, she was a child star from Nickelodeon. Um, and she just talks in the book, you know, about abuse she suffered at the hands of a narcissistic mother. And she was a very famous child actor, but she was just trying to make her mom happy. Mm-hmm. These were not things that she wanted for herself. Yeah, I mean, I guess she's a very good example of parents pushing their children into this career path. Right. In um, the beginning of the book, all I made it to. Um, maybe I'll listen to it again. Like, there's a scene where she talks about her mom saying that she always wanted to be an actress, but her parents wouldn't let her. And she was like, do you want to be an actress? And, like, Jeanette realizes not really that she has a choice, but that she's her ultimate goal is to make her mom happy. So she says yes. And she really is living out her mom's dream. Yeah. Yes. I think, you know, whether you come from a good childhood upbringing or a bad childhood upbringing, when you become a parent yourself... Part of your mission is to do things better than how they were presented to you, even if you, even if it was good, your childhood. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? There's always something to improve upon. So um, that's funny that, you know, I wanted that for me, but I wasn't allowed. Now I'm going to force you to have it. Right. Yeah. That's kind of the take that I got from reading her book. <sighs> do you, like, do you know anything about the carter parents if they well so we can get into this when we talk about house of carters because they have a family therapy session on camera but aaron says he felt like they were only paying attention to him when he was making money when his career was successful and that after he has a drop-off which we'll talk about he felt like he didn't matter anymore so there's also this other i think it's kind of like macaulay culkin's parents of like oh, this is a way for us to earn money. Same thing with Lindsay Lohan. Sure. Like, Same oh, thing for Jeanette McCurdy. She talked about that in her right. book also. Oh, right, because they didn't really have a lot of money, and then once she started yeah. having a successful career, it made a big change. Yeah. And that's a... That it's is, a dangerous dynamic. It is, when you, especially when you look at examples like Mary-Kate and Ashley, who their parents put money in a trust for them, and now they're incredibly successful and like don't have to rely on acting in the celebrity you know, like juggernaut because... They were set up for success financially, but that's probably the exception when it comes to child stars. Sure. I think it's also, I'm not trying to make sweeping generalizations, but just like the life of being in the spotlight and even going to a creative field is so unstable. Like it's, you have to think about what kind of person wants to subject their kid to that. Yeah. Or like what, because I mean, the things that you face as a creative, like rejection, people making comments about your appearance, people telling you that your art isn't good enough, like that's hard for an adult to hear. And then for like, to have a kid go through that when they're not even like emotionally equipped to be doing that, you kind of have to wonder like. (laughs) There's something to be said for those parents who are like, you should be a doctor. (laughs) I mean, you know. So, Aaron, who started yeah. at a very young age, um, and in this, in the Lou Perlman documentary, he kind of creates the timeline of, like, Nick went off to work with Lou Perlman at around, like, age 12 or 13, so then that was kind of when Aaron stepped up, kind of, like, almost, like, replacing that. Oh, like, his parents, like, Nick was gone, being a Backstreet Boy, now his parents had a new project. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, that sounds so creepy. I know. <laughs> so. Do you think... If things had never happened for Nick, do you think they would have happened for Aaron? No. I agree. I almost feel like it was opportunistic because of the door that was already open. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, So Aaron's cultural influence, I think, is due to just how prevalent he was in culture. So if you look at his IMDb page, there are like hundreds of credits for himself as an actor and for himself personally. Um, Additionally, Aaron was a heavy social media user 
once you know instagram twitter um tiktok all came out especially on instagram we'll definitely talk about that later um so his first album aaron's party parentheses come get it was released in 2000 and inspired legions of middle school fans His second album, Oh Aaron, was released in 2001. Um, another banger. Absolutely love the title track. Both of these albums went platinum. Wow. Again, crazy for like, he was... Nine. Yeah. Unreal. Um, his voice changed between the first and second album, which is really cute. Um, That's so tough, though. Because, I know. Like, Same thing happened to Bieber. Yeah. And, I mean, as an adult, like, now it's like that happens to everyone and we say so cute right but like imagine put yourself in the spot of that 12 year old and um that's like embarrassing to talk about right so like it's embarrassing to talk about when your uncle points it out at thanksgiving dinner (laughs) imagine if it gets pointed out and i don't know that this happened to aaron but i'm just speculating like on trl in the news online like that's just so mortifying and it goes back to the whole damn it's hard to be a famous kid oh my god yeah like only you know me in my sixth grade class had to see my acne but imagine it being like absolutely everywhere worldwide 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 acne <laughs> that was the name of the shelf third album <laughs> <laughs> oh <my God. sighs> so also in 2001 um aaron made three culturally significant tv appearances that year on an episode of one of my favorite shows, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, um, as the voice of Clutch Corner on an episode of the Nickelodeon cartoon Rocket Power, and most importantly, playing himself on the episode Here Comes Aaron Carter of the Disney Channel show Lizzie McGuire. Oh my gosh, guys, where's my tape recorder? I think I left it in Aaron's dressing room. Should I go back? I'm sure it's okay. We'll wait here. Is this yours? <laughs> Merry Christmas, Lizzie McGuire. Right so I just want to point out, um, we already established that we feel that Nick was the most culturally significant Carter sibling and the most famous, but you got to give Aaron props for being extremely diverse. Oh my God, yeah. So the music... The acting, I mean, the acting is more like a guest spot type of thing. Right. But still. But he was also on Broadway. I know. And like actual Broadway. Right. (laughs) Susicle, right? I think that was it. Oh, I I read a different one. I think he did more than one show. (gasps) Wait, he did do Susicle. Oh my God. So (laughs) the point that I'm trying to make is like, you actually have to be talented. Yes. And um, in more than one... With more than one trait. Like, he was more than just a singer. Mm-hmm. Like, he was also a performer. A performer. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that um, his diversity is sometimes undercredited. Mm-hmm. Abs- I mean, absolutely. For many reasons. Um, probably the most important <laughs> cultural significance of him being Lizzie McGuire is that, as I'm sure everyone knows... Uh, Lizzie McGuire star Hilary Duff and Aaron dated, and we can definitely get into that as well. Um, so his career was exploding in the early 2000s. He so, was also touring um, during yes. this time as opening acts for Backstreet Boys um, and Britney Spears. Um, and did you ever get to experience the Aaron Carter concert? <laughs> oh my god, Megan, I'm so glad you asked. I did. <laughs> did you? No. <gasps> okay, so um, Aaron Carter was the first concert I ever went to. I was 11. Believe it or not, my mom, loyal listener of this podcast, still raves about it. She said, like, because the production value was amazing. Wait, was this an opening act or was he the headliner? Headliner. <laughs> because um, Lindsay Pagano opened for him. Do you I remember know. Lindsay Pagano? I'll insert something here.
Lindsay Pagano, Dream Street, and then Aaron Carter. Dream Street. Wait, Dream so Street. Two openers. Yes. That's that's a fame level. I know. That we only see these days with like Taylor Swift. I know. <laughs> it was, but like when I tell you this concert, like I remember he came out wearing a white fur coat, all choreography, tons of backup dancers. There was like so this was all like Millennium era stuff. So everything's like silver, shiny, sure. like you know. Chromatica before the Chromatica. Oh my god, Megan, that's so accurate. <laughs> Chromatica before Chromatica. Um, there was like a multi-level, like kind of like, it looked like a fire escape thing that like people were dancing on. And this kid did like a 90-minute show at age, I mean, 2001, he would have been like 12. Yeah. Phenomenal. And like my mom, who, <laughs> my mom is a big pop music person, um, but she even talks about just how impressive it was. And she was like dancing the entire time, much to my embarrassment. But it was it was amazing as you were talking before about his like star power and his ability as a performer. He was a great entertainer, even as a young kid. I mean, we can probably agree he doesn't have like the most spectacular voice. Neither does Nick. Um, but just like his presence and his persona was it was it was really noticeable even then. Yeah, and I do think at, especially at that age, that's probably something more you're born with yeah. than is ingrained into you. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that he worked on it. But, like, I think that you have so- you have to have something innately to be able to be that impressive at that young of an age. Um, so, a third album was released in 2002 called Another Earthquake. So, we have three albums in three years. Unreal. Unreal. Adult Me is now thinking how overworked this poor child was. I know. Well, I mean, so this is pretty much, like, ages 9 to 13. Megan, what were you doing between the ages of 9 and 13? That's, like, Uh, third or fourth grade to, like, seventh or eighth grade. Probably Barbies. Mm -hmm. Listening to (laughs) dial-up to get into the AOL Instant Messenger. (laughs) And then your mom being like, Megan, get off the phone! I told you to get off the phone! I'm expecting a call! (laughs) Um, Something else is a little gem that I was, like, just really going... There were many, like, recovered memories researching this episode because, again, these events happened 20 years ago. Um, did you ever watch the PBS show Liberty's Kids? No. Okay. My family was a really big PBS family. You know, it's supposed to be, like, educational. If we are going to, like, enjoy something like television, it had to be educational. Um, it was a show about, like, kids in colonial times and, like, explaining slavery and, like, explaining, like, it was a little too progressive for its own good. Aaron Carter sang the theme song, and the theme song, like, accidentally slaps, and it's like, it didn't have to go that hard, and then I, like, found a live performance of it where he's singing it with this other poor girl named Kayla Hinkle, which I don't know why I shouldn't pick a different name, <laughs> but... You represent America! It's like it didn't have to go that hard and it did um it, and i guess it's just another example of like this kid they were putting him to the ringer like he was i mean everywhere yeah. and so busy and that can't like not i mean i don't know i guess do kids you have... think that that would fly today like do you think that there is um a 2022 20, equivalent mm-hmm. of aaron carter or like is there a so, like, the, the biggest thing that I could think of, and I don't even think that this is comparable at all, is Millie Bobby Brown. Mm. She's older, and she's not as, um, like, in your face as, yeah, like, exposed. Aaron Carter. Yeah, exposed. Like, I just don't think it's in, I just don't think it's good taste anymore. I definitely think we're more aware of that. There, you know, there's, it's almost, it's a trope now of, like, the messed up child star. I would say probably the closest thing is the controversy about um, family YouTube channels and parents, like, using their kids as, like, uh, 
I don't know, kind of the the draw for like the YouTube channel. Sure. There's also, do you know about Ryan's World? Your no. kids watch Ryan. So he's a YouTuber. I think he's like seven or eight now. Huge with the little kids I work with. But he started like um, just doing unboxing videos of toys when he was like probably five. And he, this kid has like millions of followers on YouTube and like rakes in the dough. But like, I think it's things like that where it's like, I mean, obviously his content is extremely PG. And, like, his parents monitor it, but it's, like, your child is widely exposed on the internet. At least, though, while widely exposed on something like a YouTube channel, which my my kindergartner was like, one of my classmates is a YouTuber. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I'm like, you're not allowed to be a YouTuber. <laughs> so she'll play YouTuber. <gasps> that is so weird. But she's not a YouTuber. But um, <laughs> at least... Um, it is within your control yeah. on YouTube. While it, you may be overexposing your child, you're overexposing your child. Right. I think there's... I just, and I mean, YouTube, who knows? Maybe if YouTube had been a thing back in 2001, Aaron Carter would have been a huge YouTuber, but... I mean, he was he was big on Instagram Live, so... <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're right. Later behavior would suggest that he would have been a YouTuber. Um, but... Uh, you know, it's not Unboxing Ryan or whatever you called him. Um, <laughs> Ryan's World. <laughs> I wish it's, it's Unboxing Ryan. He's not going on world tours. Well, he did he, go to VidCon. What the hell is VidCon? You don't make it about VidCon? No. Hank Green and John Green started this because they're like YouTuber people. Started like this. the Fault in Our Stars, John Green? Yes. Okay. Because um, he had a huge YouTube presence. Started this convention called vidcon and it's like famous youtubers go to it like james charles um britney broski go to vidcon it's like a i would rather go to fire festival (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a lot of like you know backslapping kind of self-congratulatory yeah yeah self-obsessed people that go there but interesting Mm -hmm. all right what do you want to talk about next do you want to talk about aaron and hillary or do you want to talk about house of carters I, you know, to be honest, I almost forgot about Aaron and Hillary, and I think it's because everyone knows the story. Yeah, and especially, um, I feel like that's come to light again recently. Right, because she made a statement. She did make a statement, and then I also want to say maybe like a year ago, don't you remember? He was like, Hillary Duff was the love of my life. Oh, right. Oh, God. <sighs> Listen, I've been there when your ex-boyfriend start posting stuff that you're like, oh, no, you're not doing well. <laughs> um... Yeah, you came to a house of Carter's. Yeah, okay. Let's do it. Because I feel like this is something that the public needs to know about. So, <laughs> well, I tried to. Okay, so I tried. I did watch. I was a casual House of Carter's watcher back in two thousand six. Yes. Wow. Yes. You were a big E person in high school. Yeah, and like I, as a teenager, I watched like Being Bobby Brown. Like I was on uh, the first wave of Girls Next Door. Yes, of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. But half. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, I Olive Garden is also my favorite restaurant. Um, <laughs> but I haven't seen it in 15 years is probably yeah. my point. So I did try to go to all the streaming platforms um, to find this. Uh, couldn't. Uh, I think YouTube is probably your best bet to mm-hmm. see things. But I am not kidding when I say I literally got, like, a cringe shiver with the memory of how dark this show oh, yeah. was. Oh, yeah. So I watched all the episodes on YouTube. This I'm telling you, this is the ADHD thing of, like, getting obsessions and, like, fixations. <laughs> it's good for this podcast, though. It is great for this podcast <laughs> <laughs> when I take my medication. Um, so I watched all the episodes. And when we're talking about dark, okay, so... It premiered on E, was what you said, I was a big E fan in high school. Um, the show is devastatingly described as the Carter siblings reuniting in Los Angeles as they, quote, try to revive their careers as well as connect as a family, which is, I, that's a read if I've ever heard one. So the show was like, you know, I mean, Nick obviously is the kind of ringleader of this. You know, we're all getting back together and, like, we're going to, like, live in a house for, like, several weeks and, like, you know, see what happens. Do you know, were they approached to do this show or did they pitch it to... I would imagine they pitched it. Because this... So this... The thing is, the timing of this was a dip for everyone. 
Aaron hadn't released music in a couple years. The Backstreet Boys, who left first, Kevin or Nick? I think Kevin left. Kevin. Mm -hmm. So that was definitely, there was a post, you know, going from five to four, did not do well for their record sales. Um, Leslie hadn't released music since Like Wow. So it was this kind of like ragtag, like, oh, we got to get something together. The show. And it was like they were too good for surreal life or something like that. Well, I think maybe there was some kind of negotiation involved that they didn't latch on to one of those and they had their own yeah. show about them. But to be honest, they had enough personalities to actually make it interesting. <laughs> and so, they may have had several, according to <laughs> suspected diagnoses. <laughs> so here are some of the highlights. Bobby Jean, the oldest, they call her BJ, lighting her cigarettes on the stove inside. And then you're going to be like, BJ, stop fucking doing that. You're going to light your hair on fire. She's like, I don't care. Like, lighting cigarettes on the stove inside. Leslie, their dad comes to visit at one point, and Leslie just starts crying because he's there. And it's, like, kind of unclear why, and it's like, there's definitely something going on here. Um, Either mom their mom attempted suicide or like had some kind of overdose situation second episode while they're filming and angel's on camera eating cereal and she's like i don't really care i'm like over this <laughs> oh my god like wild and then some of them are like i'm gonna call mom others are like i'm not talking to mom right now just like crazy family dynamics um there's a scene where aaron and nick are physically fighting about paris hilton who they had both dated at that point there's some tension. All because of the Paris situation. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. We're going to get this and, open right now. Everybody and, wants to know the truth. You want to know why I don't trust my brother? Like why he doesn't respect me? I'm going to tell you why. Because when I broke up with Paris, this guy takes her out, gets and roses. Tried. The next day, I find phone in the car and who is it it's his phone taking a picture of her her smiling like this in my, in my cadillac but i never did anything with her i never touched her when i told him i'm over and he goes out with her on a date just so you know so thank the lord that i am not like you um just like physical fist fight on camera like yelling about paris hilton and then there's an episode where this and this was probably the biggest insight the siblings attend a family therapy session on camera um Talking about, you know, their past, not as in-depth as the documentary, the Backstreet Boys documentary, but Aaron talks about how he feels like, you know, he was only brought into the world to be a cash cow for the family, and that if he wasn't working or earning money, his parents weren't interested in him. Reality TV in the early aughts. It was was, the wild, wild west. And that's the thing is, I think, not to deviate too much, but I think what I miss about that era was now when people go on reality shows the self-awareness that social media has created like even when the way that people like pose for the camera or the way that like you know the real housewives are like full glam on a wednesday morning when the camera crew comes i miss the house of carters the jersey shore like the early days of housewives where like people didn't have that like almost truman like show awareness of their like how they appear on camera nowadays it feels very curated even if it's wild today it's wildly curated right and that it's it's a deviation for sure and it's like a little bit of a disappointing one for me oh hell yeah (laughs) but so but this this is i mean it's so from a human standpoint it's sad it's sad that all these Terrible. like yeah. adult siblings are struggling with this well, but I from think, an entertainment oh my god it's like phenomenal <laughs> i mean phenomenal. i think um house of carters gives suggestion of familial trauma mm-hmm. um i would say primarily caused by the parents i think it gives suggestion of abandonment issues mm-hmm. i think it gives suggestion of substance abuse issues um there's a lot to unpack. A lot. So, big insight. If you are interested, I think you can still find them on YouTube. That's where I watch them. Um, but that, at that point, I think Aaron was 18. Do you think, do you know if that show, I think of a show like Jersey Shore. Mm-hmm. And like, those people were a train wreck, but then they became America's train wreck. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Yes. Uh, do you think that uh, um, it took like that kind of track or do you think it took a track more like a being Bobby Brown reality show where you're like, these people are a train wreck and this is not going to end well? Um, that like that which track House of Carters was on? Yeah. I think it was a being Bobby Brown. Yeah. Like, I don't think that anyone, I mean, maybe with the exception of Nick. 
a little bit, but like I don't think anyone's reputation recovered pristinely from that show. No. <laughs> no, and it there was really no kind of positive result of it either. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no one's career was restarted from House of Carters. Yeah. So, yeah, it's sadly just kind of more of a train wreck. Oof. Um, so, Aaron had, and this is partially why he was on House of Carters, no music or uh, released or touring between 2004 and 2017. I think this had a lot to do with the Lou Perlman lawsuit. Also, I think Aaron filed a lawsuit against his parents because they had not been mary kate nashley style putting money into a trust for him and his parents had spent a lot of his earnings yeah so um i read on aaron's wikipedia page that Mm. when he turned 18 he claimed to have inherited about two million dollars which when you think of everything he'd done it should have been a lot more a lot more but also his parents had not been paying taxes on his earnings so he actually owed to the government more than $2 million in taxes and ended up filing for bankruptcy. So imagine turning 18 and that's right. what you're handed. I mean, look, that alone, like, would make me, <laughs> would cause a rift and cause, like, family <laughs> dynamics. Yeah, like, how, how are you going to, like, have a, a family dinner? Right, and when, be like, you, like, yeah. stole money from me. Yeah, I better, I should probably forgive my sister for stealing clothes from my closet. Right, same. Yeah. Same thing with my sister borrowing my shoes in 10th grade. (laughs) I forgive you, Tori. Time to shout out some sources who aided in the research of this episode. Several articles from TMZ, who broke the news of Aaron's death, were referenced in this episode. Several articles from Page Six, which aided in the reporting of the events before and after Aaron's death, were referenced in this episode. A quote from a Page Six article was used in this episode as well. Articles from ET Online, Yahoo Entertainment, and a Today.com article by Gal Fashingbauer Cooper were also used as reference. IMDB.com, and of course, Wikipedia. If you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, please call the National Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration helpline at 1-800-662-662. H-E-L-P. Want to let us know what you think about Aaron Carter, 2000s pop culture, this podcast, or let us know which celebrity death you can't get over? Email your feedback to hollyweirdpodcast at gmail.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Podcast to get clues about future episodes and photos that go along with the stories. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hollyweird. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And please, join us next time for part two of the Aaron Carter Saga, available wherever you listen to podcasts.